cord to the clap. All right. Hello, Magic is Real listeners and family. Thank you so much for being here. I always say that I'm excited about pretty much every guest, but I'm really excited today. And that reason is because I have Barbara Ireland with me. And I've wanted to interview Barbara for a long time because I feel she's a, a, a woman of my own heart. Um, I just spent last night reading her book. She's got a few books. Um, this one is called Stop Negative Thoughts, What My Near-Death Experience Taught Me About Mind Loops, Neuroscience, and Happiness. There's no way I would have remembered that um, had I not been looking at it. It's long. Um, and I just felt this is a kindred spirit. I'm so excited to talk about this. And also I was a music booker in LA. So the music industry was my whole life for a long time. Um, and so I feel we have a lot to talk about because Barbara's also a talented musician and performer. So I just wanted to thank you so much for being here. It is so nice to finally sit down with you, connect with you and hear what you have to share. Oh, thank you so much. I am so thrilled. Um, as we were saying before we got on, um, this feels very special to me too. So I'm just super happy to be here. Uh, that means the world. Thank you. Well, first, uh, you are a near-death experiencer and also a person. So I like to start by finding out about your life, where you come from, what your background is like, what your previous spiritual beliefs may have been. Just because I think that when people have a near-death experience, it's a lot of it is informed by their past and vice versa. So I'd love to, wherever you want to start, who are you <laughs> and what, where do you come from? Okay. Well, first of all, that question is way bigger than what I'm going to just say here, because who are you is actually um, not who I, my ego is, but th we're going to put that aside for now and <laughs> just talk yes. about the personality of Barbara Ireland yeah. who's living this life right here. And that is, um, I, I'm from Seattle, still live in Seattle. I spent five years living in New York when I was um, getting a degree in filmmaking. But um, my whole family and whole life growing up was centered around creativity. Um, both my parents are visual artists. My brother is a professional drummer and, and now many, many other instruments. I grew up uh, playing some piano and then harp became my main instrument. Um, and then when I was 16, I started playing in bands and clubs, um, keyboards and later bass guitar and then a little singing. So, and then it went to school to NYU from film. So my whole life was around creativity. And in addition to that, um, uh, well, my dad uh, became very unconventional at a, a certain period in his life. He was a, um, an illustrator for an ad agency when I was really young. And then he decided he want to, wanted to be a, a free, a free man, free man. We're talking psychedelic sister. We're talking, you know, hippies, hippies coming over. <laughs> and so um, my whole family kind of disrupted at that point. And 
um, I'm, I'm really, really glad he quote unquote found himself. But as far as a, a family goes, it was a freak out, I can tell you. And um, so that was going on. And then for me personally, as far as uh, my spiritual um, past, I was not brought up in, in any particular thing. Um, that was not a big part of my parents' lives either. Um, but I'll tell you, Shannon, I, I always had an unusual connection as a little girl. Um, when I was around nine, I rarely talk about this because it's so sacred to me, but I had a profound conversation with water while I was on a sailboat with my family. And the, the water and I were asking each other what it was like to be water and what it was like to be a little girl. And at some point the water said, I can't believe I'm telling this, but anyway, the water said, there's a boat sailing behind your boat that's going to capsize and they're going to need help. And I looked and, it, and I, it was really far away. And, it, and I said, how do I know which one it is? And the water said, there were two ropes, the lines we call them on boats. There are two lines coming down. It said, I will keep that boat in between these two lines of your boat. So when every time we're talking and you look up, you'll still see that boat, no matter where each of the boats are moving on the water. And so I said, okay. So we kept talking, I kept looking, I kept seeing this little yellow sailboat. We talked for 10 minutes, that boat way, it was like this big, stayed in the lines. And finally the water said, you need to go back and tell your dad to turn around because they're about to capsize. And I was like, you gotta be kidding. My dad was anti-religion, anti-spirituality because of his family growing up was very strict. And he, he was this hippie, right? And it, it said, no, you need to go do this. I was like, oh God, you know, you can imagine. So this little girl goes back and says, daddy, we got to turn on and blah, blah, blah. And he, he was not having that at all. He's like, what are you talking about? Well, the water told me, and I was like, didn't work out that well. Well, um, I went back and when I laid back down to talk to the water, the connection wasn't, it was hard to get back in there. So I was sad, I was freaked out from my dad's response. And that night I was asleep and all in the middle of the night, well, it was, turns out it was 11 PM. My brother and my dad burst through my room and said, Barbara, Barbara, it was just on the news. That little yellow sailboat did capsize. Five people were in the water and I could, I was so grateful that it was proved, yeah. you know, proven to my dad and my brother. And they were just looking at me like, what is going on? So things like that would happen. Um, I knew when my aunt was going to die and thank God I was, she was deaf and I was super little. I was probably three or four. And I kept yanking on her arm and saying, Aunt Phoebe, you're gonna die soon. Creepy. Yeah, yeah, creepy. And the, the woman said, 
what's the little darling saying <laughs> to my mom? She just made something up. So, you know, those, those things were happening throughout my life. And I, I was always a seeker, unlike most of the people in my family. Um, and then my brother kind of, he went his cosmic ways too. And we, we talked about things like that. So you asked about the spiritual past and, and that, that came and it, it developed. I was always looking into things and experimenting with um, connecting with spirit in different ways. But it wasn't until the near-death experience and especially um, since then and even in the last two months have been the most profound spiritual experiences um, ever besides the water that was very special too yeah that is so cool when just a real quick question about that when the water spoke to you um i'm a medium so i understand what you mean by that for those who think that they don't hear even though they do uh, everyone can what did that feel like to you how did you know that you were being spoken to as opposed to having a thought such a good question. I mean, I was so young, it's kind of hard to remember. Um, it was so different. I mean, there was no, there was no confusion. Uh, there, there has been more as I became an adult, um, not presently, but um, as an adult, I think um, the voice in our heads becomes more unfortunately more and more pronounced yeah but as children I think we can naturally melt into environments and we don't have such a strong conceptual brain going on um so it it was very different and there was a feeling attached mm -hmm. and it was answering things I never could have understood or imagined a water would be talking about so that's all I can. Yeah, I, I, I understand that. It's just, I think a lot of, well, I, I know that spirit communication happens through telepathy for the most part. Some people will hear a disembodied voice. I don't, I just have a knowing that comes mm -hmm. to me. Um, like mm -hmm. I was walking with my friend this weekend. I don't know her. I haven't known her. I've known her for years, but don't know her well enough to know anything about her family. And she had just moved to Virginia as well from LA. And she asked me, she said, my baby's been interacting with some kind of, I can see that the baby is reaching out to somebody. And I'm wondering if you have any feeling about that. And I'm walking along. I was like, well, I don't know if I can just cold, like not cold read, but just walking down the lane in the park. I've never tried that before. And then I just, information started coming and I just I kept hearing the same thing over and over. And I was like, I don't want to say it because I'm going to feel stupid if, if I'm wrong. And then I just said, is, it, is there someone named Randall? And, you're, and she turns around and it, I want to say she was white, but like, I, I don't know. That's just what her face looked like. She goes, are you effing serious? And then suddenly I just started to get information and it's not something I saw. It's just something I knew like Randall, the word just kept coming to my brain. It sounded like my own thought, but where did it come from? I don't know anyone named Randall. So I think that's kind of explains a little bit. It's just this drops in feeling of, I don't know how I know this, but I do. 
And then suddenly I was like, it's your grandma visiting your son. I just knew it. I, I don't, I just felt confident saying she's singing and she's a singer. And I know that my friend is a singer. I said, that's where you got your voice from. And she's showing me roses. She's like her, she's had a beautiful singing voice and either she or her mother's name was Rose. And I was like, well, there you go. So uh -huh. it comes through in a way that's like, I just know it. I just know it. So I bet you that's kind of what it was. And as a child, you're so in tune with your instincts. So I do want to talk about ne the negative thought thing, because this is something that's so relatable. Um, so you can tell this any way you want, but let's get to the near-death experience, because I also am so fascinated with the way, where you were when this happened, and how cool, how actually cool kind of the story leading up to it was. Yeah. Um, so wherever you want to start, really. Okay. Um, so at the time all of this was beginning, I was a singer and I was touring with the guitar player first for Pearl Jam, Stone Gossard. And we were, so he had a separate band and I was one of the, I was this co-singer he called me with him which was a delight. And he's one of the most beautiful um, people I've ever met. And so uh, we're touring, we're in Brooklyn, I'm on stage and everything is going wonderfully well, except there's this one dude in the very front row who's not enjoying this. I'm sure he thought he was coming to hear Pearl Jam and we were not um, this big loud rock band. And so he was just, he had his arms crossed and just, just, oh, I can't stand this kind of face. And I'm thinking, what's the dude in the front row for doing that if he hates this so much? And, you know, first, my first thoughts were against him, judging him. My second group of thoughts was what's wrong with the band? And then the most quickly, the thoughts became what's wrong with me? My singing sucks. What am I doing up here? This difficult note is coming. Uh, you know, I'm not even a singer. <laughs> I just went crazy. These negative thoughts about me. And it was like, I described it as like a radio station that my brain tuned, tuned into these unconscious stream of negative thoughts about Barbara radio station. And it was nonstop, just, it was about my singing and that night, but it was about all sorts of aspects of me. And uh, while that was going on, I was also remembering lyrics. I was cueing with the band. I was dancing and acting like everything was okay. And then a third part of my consciousness was behind me observing this and commenting on how fascinating it was that my consciousness had broken into these two giant clumps of thought happening at the same time and kind of wow look at you doing all that and I was thinking this is very uncomfortable I don't think anyone noticed uh, but I sure did and that night when I went to sleep, I thought, I've had therapy. I had thought I got rid of my childhood conditioning of not feeling good enough, 
not being able to speak correctly or be an extrovert or a, a performer of any type. But apparently that's all still in there. I just didn't know what was happening. And that's the key, I think, for so many people. And I, you know, I'm not going to speak for everyone, but being so unconscious of the thoughts that are going on in our heads becomes, at some point, it, it, it affects our lives. And I'm so, so grateful that it came out in this big tidal wave of negative thinking. Otherwise, it could have been feeding me my whole life. So at that point, I thought, okay, I, I really want to get rid of these. I want to heal these things. How do I do this? Therapy didn't complete that for me. So I thought, oh, I'll, I'll sign up for one of those crazy camps where you, you push your boundaries and you develop courage and you face your fears. That'll get rid of these things. So I signed up for that. Some months later, I went to this very remote area in Vancouver and um, I brought my best friend with me, thank God. And you signed a liability form, so I can't tell you what we did, or, or a non-disclosure form, and a liability form that was terrifying. And I almost didn't want to stay. It was so creepy. Um, but I did. And so for that week, we stayed in tents. There was sleep deprivation, three hours of sleep a night. Every single day was so physically strenuous. Um, I ate and ate and ate, and I still lost weight. Um, it, it was terrifying. Like people were there specifically to scare you um, and do spontaneously frightening things to see how you'd respond. And then so you could respond with some more like courage or something. <laughs> I hate this. I'm, I'm out. I'm out. I, I can see now why you signed, why we signed these forms, because if I had found out about what was going on, I wouldn't have gone. Yeah. Um, but as it turns out, which is the case with so many awful things or, you know, that we deem awful that happened to us, it became this fantastic gift in my life. So I'm going along fine. Every day I am gaining courage. I've got through that horrid day and, you know, <laughs> And then the last day was an endurance experience in the sun. And uh, I was doing fine until about halfway through. And then my senses began to scramble terribly in very surreal and frighteningly psychedelic ways with flashes of lights and strobing and reverberated sounds. And what I found out later was I was having heat stroke. And these are the same symptoms as a stroke. So my brain was frying out um, and the, the senses were um, conflicting against each other. Um, I did make it through that uh, endurance piece. And at the end, what it, it looked, I remember thinking, I feel like I'm in a horror movie, like that Jacob's Ladder movie. I don't know if you ever saw it, but that head. Yep spinning back and forth is so nightmarish. That's what things looked like. Things were strobing and freaking out. And, and I was like, oh, I just don't even want to look. 
I don't even want to have my eyes open. It's so creepy. And so when I asked for a medic, this man came who was not a medic. He was terrified when he saw me. He didn't know what to do. He took blood pressure and all that and was just freaked out. But no one thinks they're going to die. And no one thinks they're, you know, the, from his point of view, he's not going to think, wow, I got to figure out how, what to do with this woman because she looks like she's going to die. Everyone just thinks you're just having a problem and you'll be okay. Just rest. You know, <laughs> he did give me electrolytes, which as it turned out from a physical level, probably helped a lot because what was going on was heat stroke, but stronger for me was hyponatremia, which is when you sweat too much all the sodium yeah Yeah. all of the sodium out of your blood or and I was drinking a lot of water to stay dehydrated so I I was very low in sodium which crashes your blood pressure and so he said well let's put you at your tent it was too hot for that so I laid under a tree and thankfully my best friend found me and held my hand while I went I began my body began shutting down um And it was really terrifying and um, terrifying and sad. And I mean, I tear up at this point because to feel your body like dying is very freaked out (laughs) because at least in my case, it was like each limb one after another began I couldn't feel them anymore. They were losing their life energy. And so I ended up being a torso and a head without being able to move uh, and screaming and crying and, and didn't know what the hell was going on. But the interesting things really began then. And that's when this movie started playing in front of me that was both a movie I was watching that of a, a, a moment in my life from two weeks earlier at a, a different band rehearsal where I'd had an argument with my brother. And that argument was playing in the basement of his house. And so I was watching it, but I was also in this experience at the same time. So it was very different from a memory where it's kind of spotty and details are not there and you kind of jump around in time. It was very clear. Um, and at one moment, there, it freeze framed, the movie stopped and it was on me or I was in that place. I don't know how to describe it. And the, a voice, this male voice, not in the outside of where I was and not in my brain, um, not my normal voice, but this calm, neutral male voice said, what were you thinking right then? And that stopped my terror and my crying. And it, it kind of got my attention and I answered it. And the moment I answered it, the movie went away, a new movie began. And that one stopped at a moment where I raised my eyebrow in some other situation. I said, why did you raise your eyebrow? What was the thought? in your head and one after another after another of these movies went on for several hours 
of my adult life, not my childhood for some reason. And while this is going on, I was feeling this fascinating, fluffy, puffy feeling of energy leaving the top of my head. And I was noticing it just kind of streaming out, trickling out. And I kind of would wonder about it, but I'd get back engrossed. After several hours, the movies went away. It was just this darkness. And the voice said, Barbara, now you choose. Do you want to stay or go? And I knew it meant, do you want to die or stay in your body? And, uh, and the reason I tear up at this point is because the feeling, I, I had one foot in this world and one foot in the next. And the feeling on the other side of the veil is so profoundly, it's, it's, it's an indescribable type of love that you can tell I still feel whenever I get to this point in the story. Um, this kind of love is like anything that we feel on the earthly realm from unconditional beings like maybe a dog or a baby or something that doesn't is not asking something of us or projecting onto us or expecting something from us or wanting something in return. It's that level of love without any condition and magnified a hundred, a thousand percent. And it's so welcoming and so non-judgmental. Um, you can't make a mistake feeling. You can't be less than, you're just loved. And to make that choice at that point between going to that or coming back into my body where I, I loved my, I love my senses. I love colors. I love food. I love kissing. I love the people in my life. And I love challenges. And I had all these things. And, and so I was weighing these. And I was kind of leaning to going, towards going. But I asked questions of this voice. Uh, it was fascinating. That's a another subject maybe we'll come back to or not but i made i made the choice to come back and this moment i did well i was i was told when you go back the first week you go back you need to do you need to see these four people and talk about these things and i said i would and it, the second then this energy which i now understand to be life energy that had been seeping out of my head the whole time went zooming back into my body. Every one of my limbs came back. I, my energy came back relatively considering I was exhausting from everything, exhausted. And when I opened my eyes and saw this gorgeous earth again, again, this is another place I feel tears because we take this for granted. We don't even see anything anymore we don't see how beautiful the plants are or our friends are the eyes of the people we're speaking to we don't we don't see our own beauty 
when we look in the mirror. And I'm not talking about external beauty. I'm talking about who we are. Um, the ladybug, the fly. Flies are freaking beautiful. Um, you know, we, we miss out on so much of the beauty here. And I'm just, that was just a description of visual, let alone sounds and all the other senses. What it feels like to touch your own skin or, or the skin of someone you love. I mean, it's, it's what it feels like to have wind blowing in your hair. And so the whole next month, I was alive in the way I just described. And in my book, I talk about eating a peach, the first peach after the near-death experience, which was like... You said you ate that peach for like 40 minutes, and I believe it. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And I was touching the fuzz against my cheek, and I was smelling it, and I was looking at the colors, which looked like a sunset. And then the smell and the dribble of the juice and then the flavor was like sunshine in my mouth. So that lasted for a month and sounds, music, I could hear through my whole body. And then the, that gorgeous aliveness began to fade as normal life came in. The normal conditioned experience of life, my personality as Barbara Ireland became more and more into me, including thoughts like self-doubt and worry and judgment and resentment and comparison and self-criticism. Oh my God, all the dang negative thoughts that I was like, oh good, we finally got those taken care of. Thank God I went to that camp and had a near-death experience. Well, no, they were still there. And I was pissed. Excuse my language, but I was pissed. And I thought, say I pissed. okay, <laughs> I was pissed. Uh, to have gone through all that, the trauma of the near death and the camp and the therapy and the whole thing. And here I am still with these stupid thoughts. And so that was a beautiful moment because I sat down and I thought, okay, what was that experience of all those movies and the questions, what were the questions? What was the common denominator? And that's when I noticed, it dawned on me that they were all about my thoughts. And as I write and I've talked about it up until recently, I would say they're all about my negative thoughts. And uh, for the most part, I believe that to be true. But Shannon, what I've understood in the last few months is thoughts in general disconnect us from who we really, really are underneath the personalities that we think we are walking this earth. And that's a much more recent iteration of the gifts that have come from my near-death experience. Um, at that moment, when I was asking myself this question, I thought, okay, these negative thoughts, clearly it was telling me 
they had led to all sorts of problems in my life. I was on antidepressants for years. Um, I got off, off them probably a year after my near-death experience as I began changing my thinking patterns and have never had a depressive episode even remotely. <clears throat> I just don't get depressed. I might get sad, but I don't get depressed anymore. Um, so I, was, I had antidepressants. I was going through a divorce. I was not making enough money. Um, all sorts of things were causing unhappiness in my life. And I, I realized if the message was if I changed the way I was thinking, maybe that will change my life. And so I began really deep research into the nature of human thought, of depression, anxiety, what causes those, the biological addiction to uh, negative emotional states, um, sadness, um, anger, uh, fear, and what is going on in the brain to actually be craving these things, what addiction is in all its manifestations. That was the first phase of my own healing because when I started understanding the brain, I saw, a, saw these negative thoughts as there are two types of negative thoughts. One is a negative thought that goes in your head and you react at that moment or respond and then it goes out. And then there's another negative thought, which was my problem, which is I think a huge problem for many, many, many people. And that's what I call mind loops because they loop a worry. Worry was my big thing. And I worry about another person or about how I'd be judged or thought of by other people or uh, how I'd come off, but mainly about other people. I was always worried about their well-beings. And um, this ruminating, destructive thought pattern can create tremendous, tremendous problems in our lives. And as I did my research, I noticed there are ways to become aware of the looping thought and interrupt it at different places, at the, the, the way that the level of the thought itself can be interrupted or the level of the emotion it causes that can be interrupted or the behavior that the thought and the emotion create that can change too. So there's ways to interrupt these loops. And as I interrupted these negative mind loops, my life changed so dramatically that people that knew me then and now say I'm like a different person. And not only did I heal um, these negative thought patterns, but I, my, my money and my whole income changed, my health changed, my visual appearance changed, my relationships dramatically changed, um, and my level of joy as we discussed a little bit before we started talking, I kept coming to this, uh, these moments where I'd lay in bed and I'd think, oh my God, I am experiencing a level of joy I've never experienced in my life before. 
and I, I'm sorry for like, I'm not sorry, but I, I know I tear up a lot, but this is what happens since my near death experience, especially is that I, my emotions just delight in expressing themselves. So it is what it is, but anyway, which I think is beautiful. <laughs> Thank you so much. So I would lay in bed and think I've never experienced this level of joy before this has got to be the highest level of joy. And then maybe six months later, I'd go, oh, I went past that level of joy. What's this level of joy? What's this doing here? And what I've discovered is there are glass ceilings of joy. And those glass ceilings can be broken through. And there's exquisite new levels of joy for anybody to be able to experience. Um, and I, for me, it began with stopping, like turning off the faucet of negative thinking that was causing outward experiences that I didn't want, um, self-identity experiences I didn't want. Um, and as I figured out later, uh, what is now termed as manifestation or conscious creating aspects where that's an unconscious expression of creating things we want, don't want. I don't know if that made sense, but if we can become conscious of the creative power of our thoughts, then you can start actually creating things you do want in your life. So those, that, that's the, the big long like barf version. <laughs> I love the bar version Okay, and I really love it from a personal standpoint because that is so much different details, same life trajectory. I was in therapy at age two with severe anxiety, so bad that the therapist, like the child psychologist told my parents, they thought I was autistic. They tested me for autism, whatever that entailed. They put things on my wires on my brain to figure out what was quote unquote wrong with me. I was, you know what I was, I was an HSP, a highly sensitive person. And I was so sensitive that I was just overloaded with the feelings and I shut down and became elective mute, selective mute because I couldn't handle all the input. So I just hid myself and I kept myself small. I didn't want anyone looking at me, interacting with me. So if I was silent, no one would, everyone would leave me alone because I could not handle all the stimulation. And then I had a birthmark on my face that was very large. So people were always staring and pointing and I'm so self-conscious. I just can't handle it. And so growing up, my self-talk was you're ugly. You are different. You're weird. You don't have any friends. Um, And then I developed a sense of humor, a self-deprecating sense of humor to sort of as a defense, as a lot of people do, you'll see a lot of comics and actors. I am an actor as well, becoming funny because that's, they're deflecting. Um, and that, and, and, and over time, but then it led to unhealthy relationships and ended up in me ending up in a 12 step program for sex and love addiction, which is my addiction was unavailable people that could not love me because that reinforced the feeling of not being lovable. And let's just keep recreating that. So you can 
that negative self-talk. And so the, what I wanted to address is having done the 12 steps of the 12 step program, the fourth step, which I wish everyone would do addict or not is you write out all your resentments and then you look at what the core of that is and where does that come from and what might your part have been in that situation. Barring actual assault, abuse, child abuse, you have a part in the way people treat you because you allow it. And at the end of writing 75 resentments, they made me really do a lot. My sponsor had me just, even if it's not really bothering you, write it all down. Came down to people-pleasing, wanting people to like me, putting other people's opinions and needs first, letting myself be devalued just so people would like me and giving of myself to people that hadn't earned it, you know, through intimacy in different ways. So it's so interesting because my whole life growing up, I remember being in my thirties and thinking I was so ugly. Now I look at these pictures. I'm like, you were beautiful. What? But it's how strong those messages we receive are and how they stay in your mind. And I just remember always feeling like reach I'm rejectable. I'm not lovable. This person's going to. And so, yes, I had men who cheated on me, who lied to me, who weren't available, who could not bond. And I just kept going for them only to repeat that feeling of they can't love me for whatever reason. But of course, instead of saying that's what's going on with them and what trauma do they have that makes them unable to be intimate. It became something's wrong with me. I'm not attractive enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not cool enough. I'm not rich enough, whatever it is. You know, it always became about me. So when I read this and I was reading this book, I, I, it resonated so much because that was my life, negative thoughts, anxiety, mind loops, so much anxiety. My doctor said, I can't believe you don't have fibromyalgia right at this point, because I was always running to the hospital with panic attacks worrying, always in a worry spiral, always negative thoughts. And now, and I won't bore everyone because it's your interview, but um, I'm going to write a book about this. So you've inspired me as well, but coming, jumping way ahead to recovery through 12 step, which is not a straight line. It didn't happen overnight. I'm saying this was like a 15 year journey coming to now and the spiritual awakening, which again, also didn't happen overnight. Uh, I'm with you. I am in a constant state of joy. And that's why this show is called Magic is Real, because every day I see the magic and my own power and not power over, power as part of everything and beautiful. And I don't have anxiety right now. And in fact, I was reading your book and thought, I've been on Prozac now for a few years, just a little baby dose. I'm going to wean off of it because I literally do not feel anxious anymore. I just, because every, like you said, yesterday I sat by a stream and I watched the ripples and I watched the spiders weaving a web. And I saw these clusters of little bugs that I never would have noticed. And I saw how everything is symbiotic and just, and then I went and I, people who follow me on Instagram know I have a little goose family that I, they're little babies and the mom and dad, and we've become friends. And I just every day have goose time. I go take my break and I sit with the geese and I, people will say, be careful. I'm like, they know me and I know them and I communicate with them. And my, 
telepathic way. And I, I just look at everything as a miracle. Like, look at these little fuzzy babies and look at these, the grass and look at the sun sparkling through the trees. And it's just, every day is exciting and miraculous, no matter what's happening. I used to get my high from men, love, attachments. Now I just am excited. I get that high from connecting with you, sitting with the the keys, walking through the woods. And I'm just like excited to start every day. So that was a lot about me more than I meant to really um, go into, but I just, because it's you. And I just felt like I was reading this going, I relate with this so much. I just wanted to share it with you. It is. We do have very similar paths. Yeah. And, you know, during that point when I, I told you about my my father becoming unconventional hippie guy. Yeah. Um, it was a similar thing where I gained a ton of weight because my family was so disrupted by things and the marriage, their marriage wasn't going well. My brother was at, everyone was just freaking out basically. Um, and so it took years for, I, I got, I was put on a diet by my doctor and it, you know, it came off mostly in a year, but it took years for me to recognize my own attractiveness because, because of these early things, my best friend was this tiny little skinny girl. And here I was this big girl. And so people used to call us Laurel and Hardy. Yeah. <laughs> and I know that's like a 1920s comedian group. Maybe people don't know that, but who they are, but one was big I gr- and one was little. I grew up with those guys. <laughs> yeah. So um, anyway, those, those things stay with us yeah. for a long time. And we don't even know they're going on around in our heads. I know their childhood conditioning traumas. A two-year-old called me ugly and I thought I was ugly until I was like 37 years old. (laughs) You know, I just remember I was dating this unavailable guy who is actually a nice guy who just has very intense intimacy issues of that. You know, that's it's all his issue. And I had been dating him for a long time um, with it never becoming a relationship. And I remember one year it was Halloween my best, one of my best friends invited me to a Halloween party and that guy was off doing something and didn't reach out. And I just had that feeling the whole night of, I've been dating him for like a year and he doesn't even like want to know what I'm doing for Halloween or, and I'm at this party. And I just remember I couldn't be present. I couldn't enjoy myself. I had a pit in my stomach, saw him post a picture of himself on Halloween with his friends. And I was like, Oh, I just remember thinking I'm so unworthy. I'm so unattractive. I'm just, I I was sick to my stomach and I couldn't enjoy myself. I looked back at the picture of myself from that day recently and was like, I was so beautiful, like out of his league. I mean, not that it, you know, and I just mean like, I was so much more beautiful than I realized. Yeah. And I have this pit in my stomach because that guy was the guy sitting in the front row with the arms crossed. That one person was like, nope. And I made that my entire identity that I am worthless. Nobody will want me. I have to do more, be more to make him love me. And it was like, you can't get blood from a stone. And it's not about that person. You are a beautiful butterfly and a light. And why do we do this to ourselves? Yeah. Isn't it amazing? Incredible. Fascinating. Yeah. And now I do a lot of manifestation work. And I think that also 
as you've been saying, I've been using the power of now method um, for one thing. Beautiful. The other, where when I start to feel anxiety, I go, reel it back. Stop thinking about the future. Stop thinking about the past. What's happening right now? I'm, I'm, I have a roof over my head. I'm comfortable. I feel well. I'm hydrated. I'm fed. You know, my cat's purring next to me. That's all I need to think about right this minute. And that's it. And because I do a lot of manifesting, I finally brainwashed, quote unquote, myself. And I'd love to hear your thoughts about that kind of method. Not in the sense, like, I would never tell people who are manifesting, like, just keep saying, I'm great. I mean, it's not about the words, although words have power. It's about the feeling behind it. And I don't do the thing where I look in the mirror and say, I love you. But every day I say, everything's working out for me. I expect abundance. I know that this is going in my favor. And I've been doing that now for like two years. And guess what? Everything is going in my favor. I've gotten to the point where I don't have negative thoughts that I'm aware of. I'm sure I do. I I do have them. I'm not saying I don't, but the majority of my thoughts are, this is going to work out because it's going to, because I know it, it's going to work out. Everything's falling into place. And those things that don't seem like they're going my way, there's something happening under the surface that's leading me to the thing working out. It's that duck floating on the water and the feet scrambling. And there's work happening underneath the surface. This is all part of the evolution. So it doesn't look like it's going my way. It's going my way. Absolutely. I love that. So Um, I'd love to hear your kind of whatever thoughts about that. Uh, okay, yeah, and I, I would like to say, um, in relation to what you just said at the end, one of the phrases that um, keeps, or, or it was for a while, down like downloading again and again, so I would not miss it, um, just maybe in January it began, um, was... Things are happening for you, not to you. Mm -hmm. And so as I'm driving and someone is tailgating me or someone is really slow in front of me or someone tried to like cut me off and I get all mad. And and that phrase, things are happening for you, not to you. And I was like, I wonder why. Often I would notice um, that maybe those weren't as good of um, examples, but um, someone not calling me back or um, a project not working out well, or, um, you know, I, I really, really want to connect with this one person, but it, it you know, they don't show up or something. And, you know, it's so easy for people, me, everybody to go into what's wrong with that person? What a blah, blah, blah. And actually this phrase kept coming and it's happening for you, not to you. I'm like, oh, then it's fine. And it's fascinating what that one little baby phrase can do to the entire day, to the entire week, to the entire month and how much more one can manifest because we're not going into this state of things aren't the way I want them to be. We're in this state of flow. It's like I see 
life as this little beautiful brook river you know a little stream and it's flowing but if i start wanting to be a certain things to be a certain way and dang it i can't control that blah 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 and i get all mad about whatever it is i'm putting blocks and life is trying to flow around me but it's a little crunchy now it's a little wavy and i'm messing it up but what happens if i just say it's happening for me not to me those rocks are taken out and i get to step in and flow 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 and it's extraordinary uh what starts happening so another version of that is surrendering or um, accepting what is or you know letting go of control and which does not mean that I am not, you know, having goals or directions um, or, or even preferences, although they're a little, they can get a little funky. They can get into judgments if one yeah. really thinks about it. But just really accepting. Uh, things start becoming very magical as far as magic is real. So that, I just wanted to say that. And as far as manifesting and conscious creating in general, you know, when, when I was doing my research about the brain, um, I was also reading uh, spiritual books and like the science of mind authors and uh, the secret movie, for instance, and a, a lot about manifesting. But what I noticed is a lot of them said, just, just stop negative thinking. Come on, just stop your negative thinking. I'm like, screw you guys. Yeah. How am I supposed to do that? You're, you're telling me to do that and how the manifesting will work, but you don't tell me how. Right. So one of my um, reasons for making what I call the de-looping method, which is the, the first piece is outlined in my book, um, was to understand how to consciously use my mind for things I do want instead of unconsciously using it for things I don't want. And um, as I, so, so I, I learned how to stop that, the negative thoughts and then start applying some of those um, science of, of mind principles or the secret or whatever, even then, um, I feel like the secret didn't reveal the secret. They talked about the secret and they talked about visualizing, but I feel like there was a whole lot missing from how to do it. They kept it a secret. And so I love what you were talking about, the Eckhart Tolle or, or the power of now um, version of coming back to the present moment. And I ended up creating a beautiful course called Blueprint for Magic. And it's about conscious creating. Um, it's, it's funny, I'm not in a, in a place uh, in the past two months, something so beautiful and new has opened up inside of me. I'm not in a place where I do marketing anymore. I don't say how great this course is and let's do this thing. And, you know, I don't do the normal marketing methods for it anymore. So I would love to reopen it 
but it's going to require at least 10 people who really want to learn conscious creating in this way that I teach it for me to reopen it. So if someone is interested, I'll put my email out. Let's yes. Let, and we, I will actually have that there underneath, okay. but say it out loud in case someone has a pen and wants to write it down right now, because manifest it, put it out there. I mean, <laughs> exactly. It's so yeah. funny. So the course is called Blueprint for Magic and more information is on blueprintformagic.com. And if there, if it looks interesting to someone and they want to do it, I will open it. Um, and my email is barbara at themindloopgroup.com. So that's fantastic. Um, yeah. And the course, why I think it is special is one of the major pieces of information that came to me just in a few months ago about manifesting was the, and, and I have to say, you know, I get information from guides and I'm just going to leave it there. And the guide said the most important, or there were two most important things about manifesting. One is the person has to 100% want the thing they're manifesting. And the reason this was, this was stressed and why this um, was such an important aspect is that when we, when we say, I want my soulmate, or I want to make a million dollars this year, or I want to take this trip, whatever it is these things are that people want. I want this ailment to go away. Underneath so many desires are um, hidden benefits of why they do not actually want that thing. And it might be, um, an example I gave to someone the other day was, I read about a woman who had stage three or four cancer. And she was laying in her bed with heavy duty cancer, sick. Every day people would come by and visit her and bring her food or whatever. And one of her friends came by, this very bold friend, and said, is there any, reason, is there any benefit you're getting from having cancer? Of course, that pissed her off. She was like, no, what are you talking about? Well, I don't know. Is there any reason you would not want cancer? And she's like, of course, I don't want the cancer. It's like angry. And then she thought about it. Well, actually, I was really, really lonely before my cancer. I didn't have any friends, really. Now people come every day and they express their love. They hang out with me We talk. They bring me food, they bring me gifts, I have flowers from people. And I hated my job. I don't have to work. I don't go to work anymore. And all I ever wanted to do was read. And now I just sit in bed and read all day long. I guess I'm getting all sorts of things from having cancer. And then she had to make the decision. You know, does she want to? leave the cancer and actually create a life where she could have 
people who love her and that she loves and time to read and a, and a job that's meaningful for her. Um, and so uh, I talked with someone the other day who said, yeah, I, I realized I don't want to lose my weight because I don't want to be attacked on the street by a man or I want to feel safe. And so for her, feeling safe meant feeling in her mind unattractive. Um, you know, there's, there's fascinating. And I mentioned this to someone the other day that the way this information came to me about, do you really want this thing was I was in a place that was very hot with mosquitoes and they were, I was in this deep meditation and connecting with this guide talking about things and these mosquitoes kept landing on my face and it was really bugging me and you could hear them I could hear them and then they'd stop buzzing and I knew they were sucking my blood and it was freaking me out interrupting my meditation and so I said okay I really really want these mosquitoes to go away and this guide said this non-personal guide by the way and otherworldly being guide said are you 100% sure you want the mosquitoes to go away because if you do we can get them to go away and I really thought about it and it dawned on me no because the mosquitoes helped me feel more connected with nature and I wanted to feel connected to nature it's, it's like who would have thought that right so this program I'm, I do spends quite a bit of time at the beginning helping people figure out what they want. And they, they, a statistic said there's only one in a hundred people who know what they want. And, and I thought I knew what I want, wanted way back when. Um, but when we really ask, okay, you, you, this person who wants a soulmate and is lonely and wants a love in your life, why do you want that? And what are you getting from not having it? And you know, there's so many levels to that with relationships. But anyway, it helps a person come to a place of what do they really want? Not out of a place of greed, not out of a place of needing, but what does their actual being want? And then it goes into... Um, this beautiful process that I call the blueprint, where it, it's, it's like a, a, a request form to the universe. And it gets very detailed about this, this thing, this quality or adventure or whatever it is they want. And then it talks about versions of getting rid of these mind loops that are blocking it. And then it talks about how you're creating with the universe to bring this thing to you. So it, that was a way longer thing than I wanted to go into, but. There. Perfect. I loved how you went into it. And I think that is so important, even in the doing the fourth step of the 12 step uh, of the 12 steps, that is part of it is okay. But what were you getting out of this? So, well, why would I want someone to be uh, unavailable to me or for example, um, but better example, I have a friend who's always complaining about his partner she, she she you know everything's wrong she's uh she can't take care of herself I have to take care of her I always have to pay for everything she can't 
she can't even take trash out. Like, what is the matter with her? And I said, but what are you getting out of this? Because you won't leave. And I know him. And I said, you need to be needed. I'm just going to straight up. I wouldn't say this to a female friend, but for some reason with my male friends, I'm just easy to, I, I just know that I can be kind of blunt. I said, you are a caretaker. You need to be needed. You hate that she acts like a child and you feel like the dad, but you are reinforcing that behavior. <laughs> it's like you bought her a car. You're paying her bills. You're you are enabling her to lean on you because you like to feel needed because you're insecure. and You want to feel like the man. And he's always like, yeah, <laughs> that's it. But it's there's Brilliant. something you always have to ask, what am I getting out of this? And as much as I keep saying, like, I am not dating until I find my, my person and I want that person. And I want that soulmate. Like we get each other, we see each other. But then as, as I looked at you and we spoke originally, the first, one of the first things I said to you was, I love being by myself. I love it. I went to Costa Rica by myself twice. I love living alone. I spend every day doing what I want to do. And if I want to go hang out with the geese, I hang out with the geese. I've never been happier. Hanging out with friends is like my favorite thing to do. No interest in dating. And so it's like, what am I telling the universe? Like, do you want that? Or do you actually really just want to be alone right now? So it makes perfect sense that that person... I've only been single for a year. So it's, there's that too, but it's like, yeah, I want that person, but do I really, because I'm having the time of my life right now. Yeah. I'm loving myself. I'm loving my friends. I'm, I'm every, every day is exciting. Why? So why I, I feel like I don't really need a person other than myself at this moment. I do yeah. want it, but I think that's interesting that you kind of, that you pointed that out. It, it is interesting to note. On one hand, I'm like, oh, I want that person. And on the other one, I'm like, I don't need nobody. I'm just going to be by myself. I'm going to live alone. I'm never living with anyone. So what am I telling the universe? Conflicting information. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that's why for so many people, manifesting is so spotty. Yep. And it doesn't like, I've been doing everything. It's like, yeah, but what's going on underneath the thoughts you think you're thinking yeah and these are ways to get under those thoughts to look at the unconscious thoughts that of you know the benefits the hidden benefits right that's so fascinating now is there anything else that you have going on that you want to talk about that you want to share I know you've written several books um, also I, I wanted to know as because I know you're an intuitive as well do you offer intuitive services or is it just something that you incorporate into your own life um, I was I, I oh, it's so interesting you said this I was waking I woke up today with this thought I I do coaching I call it mentoring but I decided just this morning, I, I need to write on there that I will only work with people who are absolutely willing to take responsibility for their side of the street. Um, if, if they're going to like want to work with me and complain about a spouse or a coworker, they can do that a little bit. 
But like you were saying with the 12 step program, everyone needs to look at their own part. And uh, that kind of person that is ready to take a real leap uh, into taking responsibility for them, their own, what they're putting out there, whether that's with their thoughts or in their relationships, I am really excited to work with people on that level. Um, so I do that kind of mentoring. And then um, I don't know what else you asked me. <laughs> no, I was just, yeah. Uh, if you offer intuitive services okay, yeah. or anything of that nature. Yeah. And I so think, that's yeah, that's it. Yeah. yeah. And that's actually, that's interesting. Cause I've been thinking about how I can serve and it just, you kind of gave me an idea as well as you were speaking about that sort of fourth step idea. Yes. I wish everyone, maybe not the whole 12 steps, because it can be a lot. It's a lot, but there's so much to be said for why the steps work uh, and why they're set up the way that they are in the order that they are. And it's a formula that I used to roll my eyes at organized anything or handholding or mantras, you know, these mantras that I would, even when I was in 12 steps, oh, I mean, I always in, I just haven't gone to a meeting in a long time, but, um, you know, the holding hands that keep coming back, it works. If you work it and you're <laughs> worth it. I was like, so dorky. However, I, it changed my life. And I, I think it has, it, it's because of what we were just talking about. It's becoming more self-aware and looking at your own patterns, your own dysfunctional patterns or, or skewed thinking and how we can redirect and say, okay, my negative core belief, which is what the fourth step is, it ends with what is my, what negative core belief did this incident instill in me? Well, this person, you know, uh, slept with me for a year and never committed and would only call every few weeks. Well, what's my part in that? I allowed it. Um, what did this threaten? It made me feel like I wasn't lovable. It made me feel like I wasn't worthy. And then, then you take it and you say, and my part was I got something out of it. I got the attention. I got the rush. I got the dopamine high. I got the challenge of, can I make this person love me? And therefore I will reverse my negative core belief. And this time it'll turn out differently and I will be the winner. And that will tell me that I am worthy. And then in the end of it, you say, let's flip that. And so your negative core belief was, I am not worthy. I am not lovable. I am not enough. Let's switch that to, I am more than enough. I am valuable by virtue of being a soul in this world. I am planted firmly in, in my own self-love and power. And it's just flipping the switch and catching yourself, consciously catching yourself. I, I do have those little thoughts. And especially as I age, as a woman, I start to have, I think my biggest one now is the fear of aging, the fear of not aging. Cause I love being older, mm-hmm. but going, you know, you can't rely on your looks for the rest of your life. Like, you know, you're, you're, you have to get used to the fact that you are changing physically and you have to be okay with that. And so, yes, sometimes that comes up and I tell myself age is just a number. You are alive in this body. It is healthy. You get to be here. You're healthy. You know, all the things that you flip it around and say, why are you not lovable because of your age? You, you know, it's, you're, ju- you're, 
you love yourself more than you've ever loved yourself. What's, what's wrong with that? You have more self-esteem. You're more grounded. You don't take any shit from, you know, and so why is that something to be, to feel bad about? And so I think that you're right. It's about catching that thought, acknowledging it, not denying that it's there and not shoving it under the rug. Yeah. But really flipping the story and your perspective about it and saying, so I was in my twenties and I was gorgeous. And I was also miserable, insecure, had an eating disorder, had bags under my eyes from not from an eating disorder, didn't look happy. And it's like, yeah, so I have some sagging and my elbows are bunchy and my hair's turning white. I am happier than I have ever been in my entire life. So let's flip that script. And, and. And no matter how old and wrinkled and gray we get, at that level of joy, it emanates and everyone freaking feels it and is attracted to it. Absolutely. No matter what. Absolutely. And that but is- I get you also. Yeah. Because as women, it's something people, we don't talk about a lot. And so I now I'm like, let's bring that to the forefront a little about yeah. how we are so judged on our, our appearance. for our whole lives and we judge ourselves that way and and also it's a gift to be able to learn to let go try you know do our best to to let go of it gracefully and just let it happen Um, easier said than done that's a different topic but it does come back to stopping those negative thoughts about I'm aging out I'm no longer beautiful I'm no longer viable no one's going to want to date me just no we stop that that's where this stops because life is beautiful now so age is happening for us, not to us. Yes. And guess what? We're still alive. The gray hair, everything. <laughs> and we get to be here still. Yeah. Which is a gift. Is, is there, a- yeah, if there's any random, I mean, it could be anything that comes to you, stream of consciousness, anything. What do you really want to leave people with in terms of a sort of an overarching message? having had a near-death experience, I know that you just said it, but just what do you want people to know? Um, I would like to somehow express what has happened in the last two months. Uh, Do we have, what, five minutes or something left? There is no, you go. There is no (laughs) time limit other than me not wanting to keep you here all day. (laughs) Um, I won't go real, real long, but it's been so extraordinary. It began with a business failure, which I love. Now, I love saying the word failure. It's one of my happy words, believe it or not, because I now see failures as redirects. And I'm like, that happened for me, not to me, 100%. Yeah. And uh, for about two hours after the failure happened, I was mad, I was frustrated. I was like this pattern again, uh, disappointed. And then I went, okay. I remembered the phrase that had been building up about a month earlier, it's happening for you, not to you. And I remembered it finally. And I went, okay. I surrendered into it. The next morning I woke up or or that evening I was feeling really good. And the next morning I woke up and went, Oh, 
everything's changed. Every I'm, I'm changing a big aspect of my work. Like I told you, I'm not doing that freaking marketing anymore. It's not me. I'm not doing that. So if people want to work with me, hello, believe me, I will. I can't wait to work with you, but I'm not promoting. Okay. That was one of the things done. <laughs> and then things developed from there. Here's, here's the long and the short of it, Shannon. You know, um, I've never done lucid dreaming, but I'm pretty sure a lot of your audience knows what lucid dreaming is. But the one sentence version is you teach yourself to wake up in the middle of a dream and then know you're dreaming. And then you can start kind of directing your dream or talking to the person chasing you or whatever it is. So I've never really done that, but I feel like what has happened over the past two months is that I have, I am a lucid dreamer in the dream that is our life here on earth. And I have awoken to the fact that it is a dream. And I realized hundred percent, there is someone that is not the barber you see in front of you, um, who is me, the real me. I am what you see is the one dreaming that's going through eating my food, even talking to you or like setting up the computer, um, aging, <laughs> you know, whatever, going on my hikes, doing my work. But the one who is dreaming the dream is the one I now am in contact with. And so every day is over the top miraculous because I see it for the beautiful, I don't want to say illusion because it's not illusory, but it is a, uh, it's like everything is conscious around me now. And I'm, a, this is sounding real out there, but I am consciousness moving through a whole bunch of congealed versions of consciousness, which is the couch and the plant and, the, and you and I. And when we first got on and I kept saying, oh, hello, beautiful spirit. And I thought there was a, a, a normal human thought that said, maybe she, you know, what I mean is so different from how that comes out is hello, beautiful spirit. I mean, hello, beautiful spirit that is behind Shannon. I was actually talking to that version of yeah. you. And so, um, so what I want to leave people with is, you know, I'd heard things like what I'm saying right now. I'd read these things, I'd heard people talking about them and I understood them intellectually and believed them intellectually. I would even say things like, you are more, so much more powerful than you know you are. And I knew that to this much degree. Now I really understand what that means. It's, there's a, such a profound difference between these spiritual things that we read and we understand, we really get it in our minds. 
it's knowledge as that makes sense. But certain things open up and then there's a much more complete understanding. And that's what's been happening over the past two months. And when I prepare to do mentoring with someone or um, if I do open the blueprint for magic or before I talk with you, I go into a very extensive, you know, maybe, well, not very, maybe a half hour meditation. I go real deep to make sure that I am connected to the part of me that's not what you see, the part of me that is inside of me and um, show up from that place. And I'm so much happier to show up at that version of me. This part is, I mean, sure I can still judge, but hardly <laughs> like when I'm in this, when I'm really in touch, I don't judge other people or myself anywhere the way, I mean, and I'm talking about who I am here as someone who's been working for years de-looping and not judging and not criticizing and not doubting. So I'm not cleaned up a lot already. I have to say, I'm like, good job, Barbara. But I'm talking about something different now. It's, it's more complete. It's, uh, I don't even want to compare. It is what it is. It's just different. So, um, I just want to leave that with people that there is something profoundly bigger than who they think they are and something profoundly more bizarre and magical than what we think we're seeing around us that's going on. And I guess I'll leave it there. <laughs> that is so awesome. And that is Basically, what you just talked about is the is sort of the mission, not sort of, that is the mission of this podcast for me is putting that word out that we are so much more than we even know we are, and that we are so much more powerful and have, and as I said, not power over, powerful in our own essence. And you are powerful and I am powerful and nobody is above anyone else. We are all connected. We are all just on different journeys and that is it. But when you start to realize that, in a sense, this sounds cuckoo, but it is to me, I've just been saying this more, this is all a simulation. It's all a video game. It's we are living in the matrix and that makes it fun and that makes it a game. And that makes it, um, I am a voice actor and lost my voice for two years due to a vocal disorder that happened from reflux. And um, I thought my life was over. That is all I want to do with my life. But it was, as you said, a redirect. Finally, I said, what are you redirecting me to do? It redirected me to becoming a medium, to starting this podcast, to open up, opening up this whole world of spirituality that has shown me that, yes, I'm still an actor, but I wasn't allowed to come back into acting until I figured out what my true purpose was, which was to serve from a spiritual standpoint, to give mediumship readings, to get this word out with you people who are so wonderful, the near-death experience community, to put out this message, to spread the love and the light and all of the hippie stuff. And yes, I was redirected. And this is my 
if I had to choose, I love acting. I'm good at it. I would choose this. Wow. And I love acting. But if wow. I had to, by a margin, but I, I, this is my true purpose. And the universe, God, spirit guides, they knew that. So they're like, we're going to take your voice away for a while. You're going to hate it. You're going to want not want to live anymore because that's your whole identity. And we're going to mold you into something new. And then once you get it, you'll get, you'll get your voice back, but it's going to take a few years. And now I understand why. So I always, I too encourage people just why am I being redirected? Let's dig into it. Yeah. And trust the process. The other day as an actor, you know, and a performer, I got an email. I was on hold for a $7,500 job. And I'm like, it's been kind of a slow year. Got that email. Well, thanks for auditioning. We gave it to, you know, it was like you were one of the top selects, but we gave it to someone else. I would have years ago fallen apart, felt sick to my stomach. Oh, I just went, it's because something better is coming. Yes. And that's again, switching the negative thoughts. So thank you for sharing that message. I think it's so important. I know people will be inspired and I definitely recommend this book. I'm not just saying that <laughs> Barbara's a wonderful writer. Not everyone is, and that's okay. I mean, not everybody has the knack for writing. You know, it's, it's a gift, but this is very well written, very succinct. I read half of it in a night. I will read the other half in another night. And um, I will put links to Barbara's website and books. So if you have any questions about how to reach her, you can do that. Thank you for being here, my new friend. Uh, I'm so happy to have been here in your presence. This was an absolute joy. Thank you so much. Same for me. Thank you. <laughs> okay, let's stay here. Just have to pop. Hey, okay. Stop cloud recording.